everyone. It's Andrew Van, the host of False Start with me, Andrew Van. And this is an unusual episode. And I'm not good at these kinds of things. And I've had a lot on my mind in the past 48 hours since August 28th when Chadwick Boseman passed away. And for those of you who are living under a rock, somehow avoid social media and news altogether. First off, congratulations. I wish I could do that at times because the world we live in is not an easy one to live in with so much hate and so much uh, cynicism and so much just just terrible people. You know, let's just blatantly, let's just, let's just call for what it is. And the world lost someone that was a decent person. Now, he passed away with his family dying from colon cancer. And he had been battling it for the past four years and change that he had, since he was diagnosed. And when he was diagnosed, he already had stage three. Um, I think it's amazing to me that someone could take news like that and still just be so strong to continue their work and to continue just bringing joy to so many people. And on top of that, just be the best version of themselves at all times. Even when there's so many people out there tearing others down, judging upon one another, making remarks on Facebook, on TikTok, social media just in general is just dangerous. It's violent. It's, it's, it's sickening at times because people would rather laugh at others' pain than just be a decent human being. And I think about that a lot this past 40 hours with Chadwick Boseman where I don't know what I would have done. At So I'm 36 years old. He was 38, 39 when he was diagnosed. And I think for me... I couldn't live with the grace and the humbleness that he had. And he still, to this day, shows examples of in stories that I'm now seeing and, and, and are coming out about like his visits with children and, you know, the way he was handling the press and the way he was working on set. And it just hardly no, no one knew the pain inside that he was going through. And the countless surgeries that he went through, the chemo that he went through. And yet, during the past four years, he still was working as hard as ever, bringing movies such as, you know, Get On Up, the biography of James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, The Five Bloods, Black Panther, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame. And the fact that he put so much workout regimen to beefing up, getting lean, getting strong for, for those Marvel movies while being in chemo and battling 
coal in Kansas is just just mind-boggling to me. He didn't have to pursue those 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 roles and 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 you know cement his legacy and his career the way he did. But he did. And that to me like blows my mind. And not surprisingly so if you follow him for even just a little while. You know, for me, like I didn't really do much following Chadwick Bozeman aside that I knew that he was from my home state, that he grew up in a town called Anderson, South Carolina, about 30 minutes away from where I live. That's really the only thing I really much knew about Chadwick Bozeman. The more stuff that I read, the more stuff that I watch, the more stuff that I see, knowing that he was going through all of this is even more astounding to me. He spoke at Howard University for their uh, commencement speech a couple of years ago. And that was where he went after he got out of high school with T.O. Hanna. And he told a story about pushing through with pride and how one of his first roles was not Third Watch, as they had announced as he was coming up on stage, but it was actually with All My Children. Now, he didn't say All My Children. He was actually really good about that to not name out the the soap opera and that should speak right there character of who he is he could have easily said you know screw all my children but he didn't he just said i know it was actually a soap opera and he talked about how he did the first role he ever got on tv he was going to play a young man who was battling drug addiction and was a gangbanger and he had killed the character so well they had already planned on him coming back and they, they wanted him to uh, give some ideas and they had, the producers had talked to him and he wanted to talk to the writers and he was excited, you know, and he should be. Young man, this is, this is a first job you get for some exposure after your hard work at, at Howard University. And to that, you know, like he scrounged and, and had to get donations and scholarships in order to get to Howard University. And we'll get to that in a second. And... He could have just done any role given to him, taken the paycheck, and moved on. And I find this part of the story really interesting because as a as a low stand-up comedian, low level, you know, I perform for 20, 30, 40 people in bars and comedy zone and so on, and 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 with Alchemy Comedy in Greenville, South Carolina. I've always said to myself on stage, I will never do stereotype Asian voice because that's just not me and I don't want to get a cheap laugh by making people think that's funny or reassert people's assumptions about a race. It sucks that being a minority, you are viewed to represent everyone that looks like you. And it's just how it is a lot of times. The brain is wired to think that way, no matter how you're raised. And you can't sit there and say, well, I'm not biased or I'm not. Like, you are. We all are. The world is not perfect. Humans aren't perfect. But that also is what makes us great and what makes us beautiful compared to your every other day mammal. So I say that because the story goes on that he talks to the writers, he talks to the producers, and he's trying to ask questions to give more depth to his character and say, well, where is my father? And the producer said, well, you know, he left early on. And that was just the excuse they gave him. 
And we were like, where, where was my mother? Well, she, she got addicted to heroin. And they just kept giving him cheap, quick, stereotypical answers that he had the right to question and he had the right to press on. And at the end of the day, he got fired from the job rather than being listened to, rather than being accepted and to open their minds to give more depth to not only his character himself, but for African-Americans in the black community. I think that's, that's, I remember one time I was in high school. This would have been 18 years ago, almost 20 years ago. I, I had loved drama all four years in high school. And my teacher at the time, he was leaving to go pursue another gig, I believe in Somerville. And at that point, I had been working with him for about three years at high school. And he was giving other people like his contact or like agencies in North Carolina. And I remember going up to him and I was trying to shy and I was trying to do the same thing. Like, hey, could you help me out? Or could you let me know some advice and how I can further myself? And he said to me, you know, you're really funny and you have really good comedic timing, but you just don't have it here. And by here, he was kind of like stroking his face to let me know either A, I was either ugly or B, I'm not going to get shit because I'm Asian. Uh, and that's true. You know, people who know about plays and theater, there's just not a lot of roles out there for Asian Americans, Asians in general, African Americans, right? I mean, you have to have a certain particular writer, producer, and, and vision to make those things work. And um, the, the, the thing I like about Chadwick Boseman's story is he wasn't really disappointed when he got fired from All My Children. It led to him to continue pursuing roles that were more fitting and to do what he believed was right, to take on roles that represent not just him, but his community well. And so he went on to Third Watch. He went on to, I believe, a couple episodes here and there of um, like like uh, Justified and so on and, and various TV things until, I believe, 2012, 2014, and 42 came out produced by HBO, Jackie Robinson's biography. And from there, it cemented he was a leading man. Not only a leading man, but someone who could embody powerful figures that changed history. Like I, like I mentioned earlier, Jackie Robinson, Thurgood Marshall, James Brown, and even fictional people like T'Challa of the Black Panther. Which for me, when that movie came out in 2018, I remember seeing other people of minorities just excited to have someone that represented their strength and their view and just have someone mirroring what looked like them on screen. And I can attest and say, I rarely ever have that happen. And I remember like people were like, well, you got Jackie Chan or you got Jelly. Like that's, but that's not relatable to me 
They don't represent the core. They don't represent, and I'm not disrespecting Jackie Chan gently and all that. I'm just saying like, that's, that's not enough. Why can't I have more? And I think that's what Chadwick was doing was making it okay to say, I stand my ground. I, I will get what I want and I'll work harder for, for it if I have to. And he did. And I, what's crazy is this. He lived with so much grace and humbleness that during that time, he would still visit the Boys and Girls Club, raise money, raise awareness, and buy theaters full of seats for the children to go see his movie. Those who couldn't afford it. Those who didn't have access to it. And then visit those in the hospital who were terminally ill, stay in contact with them directly. And there was a story where there were two kids in particular that they said that their hope was to stay alive so they could see his movie before they died. And if that doesn't tell you how important representation is for some people, I don't know what else to say to you. You know, there's there's no one. I, I, I'm personally not saying, you know, we, we need more to outdo uh, white Hollywood by any means. But I'm saying, what's wrong with more representation? What's wrong with having more diversity? And just be accepting, you know? I think about the way he lives his life in the last few years. And I think about how just toxic people are. And it's a shame. How back in uh, early this year in 2020, he got on Instagram Live and, and to promote... Jackie Robinson Day and the 42 initial Operation 42, where he raised money to donate to families affected by COVID. And there was just a ton of people ragging on him. He was wearing the 42 hat. His beard was a little scraggly, but he also just looked defiantly just a lot thinner and skinnier. And people were like, is he up for a movie role? Why is he looking rough? What kind of king is this? And just uh, things I can't repeat. And because he didn't tell people his battle, his struggle, because it was his choice. People just chose to be ignorant rather than more concerned. And to this day, people still attack him or say shitty things on his death. And I wonder, like, when... When will the world change where we don't have to be snarky and so citizens for a cheap laugh, but just appreciate a man who gave everything he had to his dying breath to bring joy to people that he would never meet. But he knew that his work would hopefully touch them, impact them, relieve them, empower them. And it's a shame that people just can't enjoy some things because there are other people out there who constantly will 
tear down one apart. They'll go on Twitter. They'll go in some backlog or make up, or even worse, make up a story to dishonor and disprove the person who's being celebrated. Just because. Because they want to feel right. Because they want to feel empowered. And he never did that. He's never attacked people on social media, interviews, not that I've ever seen. And it's a shame that we can't give that common decency back. This man is dead. And he lived an amazingly full life by 43. And in the last four years of his life, continuing not only to fight, but to inspire. I can't think of someone who has been so gracious with their ability and their gifts and who also didn't just abuse it like some people do. And it just, it, 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 it angers me that there aren't more people like him to show kindness just to be kind. There aren't people out there who let others enjoy nice things to let them be different without judging them, to let them be themselves without having to cause conflict because they don't want to believe in the same things they do or look like them and give them the same opportunities. It's ugly. And the world is ugly and we lost someone really good to people that he will never meet. And I hope that people will watch his work and remember how not only good a performance he gave and all those things I listed earlier, but during the times that he had multiple surgeries, multiple chemotherapies, and just whatever normal round-the-clock work hustle that Hollywood actors have to do between press releases, traveling, shooting, all kinds of stuff, right? That... You can say, you know, actors are entitled, actors are, you know, spoiled, or some of them are just terrible people. And that that may be true on some, but that does not define everyone. One person or a couple of people who are shitty in the world in Hollywood do not define everyone in Hollywood. Especially this man who just died. He fucking died. I think if there's one thing to be taken away from Chadwick Boseman is that you have to be able to let people live and not judge them for what they're going through because you don't know behind the scenes what ha- what's happening. You can see someone smiling on social media. You can see someone having a good time. But behind closed doors, you have no idea what happens. Cancer, abuse, neglect, uh, anything. Poverty. We can't, we can't be horrible human beings and just crap on one another because it's gone too long. 
We have we have social media. We have phones that are capable of doing um, limitless things. The first spacecraft that went into the moon had less technology than your iPhone that you were, or your your Samsung phone that you were listening to this voice right now. And here we are using it to slander, make up conspiracy theories, to to slam people that we will never meet in, in person behind our screens to be mean and be horrible people. And to me, like, that is such a waste and abuse of technology and just life. Legacy is a big thing. I've heard from many people, like, what is the thing that you leave behind when you die? And before a couple of years ago, I didn't have very much myself. Single dude, small condo, worked in real estate, didn't have much going on. My, my life flipped upside down a couple of years ago in a good way. I met someone, she had two kids from a previous marriage. I'm a stepfather of two and I have to me more purpose in life and more to look forward to as I get older and I have more at stake. And I work on that every day because I want my kids to be better than me. I think all parents in general want their kids to be better than them. That's why they help raise them. That's why they help teach them morals, teach them lessons, and and leave them as their legacy and lessons to be a better future and to be a better generation than prior. But here I see a lot of people out there being foolish, being mean, being bullies, or posting stupid articles or posting just obscene, fake things just to be mean or comments and they live behind a screen because they know they won't ever have to face any kind of real judgment or real kind of consequences for their actions and they can be just awful people but then they have to return to reality at some point to their low lives i think my wife said it right that it's amazing that you think about how quickly Chadwick Boseman lived in the short amount of time he had between his diagnosis to the end where he got to fulfill so many things and leave a huge mark at such a young age for the rest of his, like, for the rest of our lives and so on and going forward. Not just the movies, but the actions that he did for people. And he never asked for anything back. Never posted about his sickness. Never asked him anything of it. He just battled on until the day he died, August 28th, which coincidentally was the day they postponed Jackie Robinson Day in MLB baseball. A day that he loved passionately. A day that he believed in because of the barriers that knocked down because of Jackie Robinson and what it meant to not only baseball, but just people in general. That is a legacy he leaves behind. And I ask a lot of you, what legacy do you leave behind? Don't be an asshole. Don't be a bully. Don't, don't be snarky to strangers or people you barely know. 
There's way more things you can do with your energy. There's way more things you can do with your life. Why waste it arguing with people in comments? Why waste it reading stupid fake articles that just inflame your hate or inflame the things that you want to be hated? Why waste your energy on that? He didn't. He volunteered. He worked. And when he wasn't doing that, he was just trying to stay alive. Another story for those who don't know is when Chadwick Boseman was at Howard University, he received a scholarship that part of the grants were donated from other Hollywood actors, including Denzel Washington. And Chadwick, I think, had met Denzel at one point and joked around that, you know, he had helped pay for his uh, school. And on top of that, there was a story that came out from Angela Bassett herself on her Instagram showing a snapshot from her and him on the set of Black Panther. And in the movie, she plays his mother. And she tells a story that one year when she visited Howard University, when he was attending, he was the student that was in charge of giving a tour to her. And he whispered how great and thankful he was to her for he had received the grant thanks to intakes of her and how she was saddened recently in the events, but when it brought joy to her, when she remembered that when they met again on set at Black Panther, how things felt for her full circle. That is the kind of person that he is. To be appreciative, honored, and humbled through everyone that had helped him along the way. And he does so also in his commencement speech with Howard University. I'm going to end the podcast with his uh, commencement speech. And um, I hope that people, whether there's a few dozen out there listening to me, whether it may be a couple hundred, I don't really care. I don't really know. I appreciate your time. And I hope that this brings something to you as I've been having to mull a lot over the past 48 hours since the news of Chadwick Boseman's death, I hope that it gives you some sense of peace, some sense of just living life the right way that we should. And uh, we'll be back bringing you some more uh, false start with Andrew Van down the road. Thank you guys as always for listening. Chairman, Stacey Mobley, please present the speaker, Mr. Chadwick Boseman. Let's do this. <laughs> Mr. President, I have the honor to present Mr. Chadwick Aaron Boseman to receive at your hand the honorary degree of Doctor of Humane Letters. Chadwick Aaron Boseman, quintessential artist, actor, director, writer. Your unique ability to completely embody the characters you chose to portray on screen and stage has created a phenomenal global sensation in the world of film and entertainment unlike any in recent history. Beginning with your work in the film 42 in 2013 as the legendary Jackie Robinson, who broke the color line in Major League Baseball by signing with the Brooklyn Dodgers at a time in America when blatant racism was rampant. And I told Ch Chadwick last night that 
Jackie Robinson and Martin Luther King Jr. received honorary degrees on the same day right here at Howard University as well. To your exquisite truth alive depiction of the Godfather of Soul, Mr. James Brown in the film Get On Up, and in 2017, your brilliant role in Marshall, which you co-produced about the iconic civil rights lawyer and first African-American Supreme Court Justice, fellow Capstone alumnus Thurgood Marshall, you have blazed a powerful new path in the world for the presentation of our rich lives of triumph over adversity that have been so sorely ignored for centuries. In this blockbuster year of 2018, audiences and critics around the globe have heralded your magnificence as T'Challa, Black Panther. In the feature film of the same name, and the entire movie has set a fire in the hearts and minds of people of all colors, creeds, and races, the likes of which has never, before, has never been seen before. You said that you had written in a journal years ago your desire to be the Black Panther. The world is in worship of Wakanda, the fictitious, technologically advanced, and mineral-rich African nation ruled by the Black Panther, who is based on a Marvel Comics character which debuted just over half a century ago. Also in 2018, you reprised your role of T'Challa Black Panther in Avengers Infinity War, which is the fastest film ever to pass $1 billion globally. You came to alma mater as an undergraduate of T.L. Hannah High School in your hometown of Anderson, South Carolina, where you were reared in a loving, supportive home by your mother, Carolyn, and father, Leroy Bozeman. Having written and performed plays in your junior year, your focus was initially on directing, and you earned a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree in directing in 2000. You were fortunate to have taken classes from the acclaimed Felicia Richard, who raised the funds for you and fellow classmates to attend the British American Drama Academy in London. While your plan was to hone your talents as a writer-director, it was your exposure to Rashad's teaching that opened you to the fruits of acting as well. Settling in New York, you began your career teaching drama at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture in the Junior Scholars Program in Harlem in 2002. You landed your first television role on Third Watch in 2003, and had a series of other roles on CSI, New York, Law and Order, and ER, to name a few. While continuing to write plays, you felt it was possible to do it all despite your agent pressing you to choose one artistic area of focus. Ultimately, you did see the value in this advice, even though you had success with Deep Azor, based on the tragic true story of Howard alarm Prince Jones, who was murdered by a Prince George's County police officer. Your decision to move to Los Angeles in 2008 opened the way for more achievements, as with your role in the television series, Lincoln Heights, then your first feature film, The Express, and a regular role in Persons Unknown in 2010. Other films included The Kill Hole, released just before 42, in which you starred opposite Harrison Ford, Draft Day with Kevin Costner in 2014, and Gods of Egypt, in which you played Thought. Chadwick A. Boseman, beloved son of Alma Mater, your dedication to excellence, your pioneering indomitable spirit and motivated commitment to your craft stands as the hallmarks of your incredible life and career. You are a shining exemplar of our cherished core values of leadership, excellence, truth, and service. It is with heartfelt respect and loving gratitude that we salute and honor you as orator on the historic occasion of our 150th commencement, conferring upon you the degree 
Doctor of Humane Letters, Honoris Causa. Ladies and gentlemen, I have the distinct honor to present to you our 2018 Commencement Convocation keynote speaker, Dr. Chadwick Bozeman. As you just heard, he is a true son of Howard, and Dr. Bozeman refined his extraordinary talents right here as an undergraduate student under the mentorship of many remarkable people who have passed through these, these halls. Dr. Bozeman possesses all of the qualities that we embodied. And even when the lights are turned off and there are no cameras, those qualities continue to shine brightly. And so it is for this reason I'm pleased to introduce the commencement orator, Dr. Chadwick Bozeman. First, giving honor to the Creator and my ancestors on whose shoulders I stand. Happy Mother's Day to my mom. She is not here in attendance, but, but by tomorrow she will have seen this. Let me also acknowledge my professors who have passed on to the other side. Because of work obligations over the past few years, I miss memorials that were held here for them. Professor Al Freeman, Jr., Professor Mike Malone, Professor Reggie Ray, Dr. Henrietta Edmonds, Professor Joe Selman, Dr. Johnson, and Dr. Singleton. Professors and instructors that may be present, George Epstein, Tony Starnes, Denise Saunders, Professor Roberts Williams and Professor Vera Katz. Your lessons continue to guide and, and enlighten me to this day. To President Wayne Frederick and the Board of Trustees, thank you for bringing me back here and giving me this distinguished award. It's overwhelming to be recognized amongst this year's other honorees. I can think of no better place to be right now after the Black Panther and Avengers campaigns than to return and participate in these gradu graduation ceremonies with you. It is a great privilege, graduates, to address you on your day, a day marking one of the most important accomplishments of your life to date. This is a magical place, a place where the dynamics of positive and negative seem to exist in extremes. I remember walking across this yard on what seemed to be a random day, my head down, lost in my own world of issues, like many of you do daily. I'm almost at the center of the yard. I raised my head, and Muhammad Ali was walking towards me. Time seemed to slow down as his eyes locked on mine and opened wide. He's raised his fist into a quintessential guard I was game to play along with him, to act as if I was a worthy opponent. What an honor to be challenged by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, for a brief moment. 
His face was as serious as if I were Frasier in the Thriller in Manila. His movements, his movements or flashes of a, of a past greater than I can imagine. His security let the joke play along for a second before they ushered him away. And I walked away floating like a butterfly. I walked away amused at him, amused at myself, amused at life for this moment that almost no one would ever believe. I walked away light, ready to take on the world. That is the magic of this place. Almost anything can happen here. Ain't you? you know. Howard University. I was riding here and I, I heard on the radio somebody call it Wakanda University. <laughs> but it has many names, the Mecca, the Hilltop. It only takes one hour, one tour of the physical campus to understand why we call it the Hilltop. Every day is leg day here. That's why some of you have cars. During my junior and senior years, I lived in a house off campus at Bryant Street. For those of you, that's right, <laughs> Bryant Street. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what that means, that's at the bottom of, of the hill where the incline gets real. <laughs> Almost every day, I would walk the full length of the hill to fine arts where most of my classes were carrying all of my books because once you walk that far on foot, you're not walking back home until it's time to go home for good. But beyond the physical campus, the hilltop represents the culmination of the intellectual and spiritual journey you have undergone while you were here. You have been climbing this academic slope for at least three or four years, for some of you, maybe even a little bit more. Throughout ancient times, institutions of learning have been built on top of hills to convey that great struggle is required to achieve degrees of enlightenment. Each of you had your own unique difficulties with the hill. For some of you, the challenge was actually academics. When you hear the words magna cum laude, cum laude, you know that's, that's not you. <laughs> that's not you. You, you, you worked hard. You, you did your best, but you didn't make A's or B's, sometimes C's. You never made the Dean's list, but that's okay. You're here on top of the hill. And I want to say something to that. You know, sometimes your grades don't, 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 don't give a, 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 a real indication of what your greatness might be. So it really is okay. For others, it was financial. You and your family struggled to make ends meet every semester of your matriculation. You had to stand in one line to get to another line, to get to another line for somebody that might help you. You had to work an extra job or two but you're here. For a lot of you, not all, but, but a lot of you, your hardest struggle was social. 
Some of you never fit in. You, you were never as cool and as popular as you wanted to be, and it, and it bothers you. So your social struggles here became psychological. Even though you made it up the hill, you carry the baggage of rejection with you, but you're here. Or some of you went through something traumatic. You made it to the top of the hill, but, but not without scars and bruises. Some of you fit in too much. <laughs> you were on the yard rapping on your frat block when you were supposed to be in class. <laughs> or you got caught up in the DC party life. I, I know how that is. I mean, we're right here in the midst of the city. Sometimes you forgot you were in school. You probably could have graduated with honors, but instead you are getting an oh yeah degree today. Oh yeah, I have class. Oh yeah, I have that paper due. Oh yeah, I have a final. You were literally too cool for school. You waited until the last minute to do your best work and it's a wonder that you made it up the hill at all because you carry the baggage of too much acceptance. Most of you graduating here today struggled against one or more of the impediments or obstacles I've mentioned in order to reach this hilltop. When completing a long climb, one first experiences dizziness, disorientation, and shortness of breath due to the high altitude. But once you become accustomed to the climb, your mind opens up to the tranquility of the triumph. Oftentimes, the mind is flooded with realizations that were for some reason harder to come to when you were at a lower elevation. At this moment, most of you need some realizations because right now you have some big decisions to make. Right now, I urge you in your breath, in your, in your eyes, in your, in, your, in your consciousness, invest in the importance of this moment and cherish it. I, I know some of you might have partied last night. You should, you should celebrate, but this moment is also part of that celebration. So savor the taste of your triumphs today. Don't just swallow the moment whole without digesting what has actually happened here. Look down over what you conquered and appreciate what God has brought you through. Some of you here struggled against the university itself. This year, students protested and took over the A building, formulated a list of demands, and negotiated with our president and administration to determine the direction of our institution. It's impressive. Similarly, during my years here at Howard, we also protested and took over the A building in order to preserve Howard's alum, annual, in order to preserve Howard's annual appropriations from Congress, President H. Patrick Swagger decided to, re to reduce the number of colleges at the university. By his plan, engineering would need to merge with architecture, nursing would merge with allied health, and fine arts, my school, would be absorbed by arts and sciences. That's how we saw it, absorbed. <laughs> For many of us in fine arts, this signaled to us that our curriculums or the curriculums of students following us might become watered down concentrations. 
This undermined the very legacy we were proud to be a part of and aim to continue. The Fine Arts Program had produced Felicia Rashad, Debbie Allen, Isaiah Washington, Richard Wesley, Donnie Hathaway, Roberta Flack, just to name a few. We, we felt that, yes, yes, you can go on and on, you can go on and on, you can go on and on. We felt that we could compete with students from Juilliard, NYU, and Cal Arts as long as we continued to have a, a concentrated dosage that rivaled a conservatory experience. But without it, although we took over the A building for several days and presented our arguments to President Swaggart and the administration, the schools were still merged. Thus, the current collection or formation of schools exists. That's why I view your recent protests as such an accomplishment for, for both sides of the debate, student and administration. I didn't come here to take sides. My interest is what's best for the school. A Howard University education is not just about what happens in the classroom, students. In some ways, what, what you were able to do exemplifies some of the skills you learned in the classroom. It takes the education out of the realm of theory and into utility and practice. Obviously, your organization's skills were unprecedented. I'm told that you organized shifts so that you could at least continue some of your classes. We missed all our classes. <laughs> <laughs> we were in the A building. And I'm told that through donations, there was always an ample helping of food. I probably ate a slice of pizza during the entirety of our, our three-day protest. So your organization and planning was impeccable. You received the majority of your demands, making a significant impact on those who came after you. As is often the case, those that follow most often enjoy the results of the progress you gain. You love the university enough to struggle with it. Now I have to ask you that you have, you have to continue to do that. Even now that you received your demands, even if you're walking today, you have to continue to do that. Everything that you fought for was not for yourself. It was for those that come after. You could have been disgruntled and transferred, but you fought to be participants in making this institution the best that it can be. But I must also applaud President Wayne Frederick and the administration for listening to the students. Your freedom of speech was exercised in a way where you can contribute to this place. It also shows that you can contribute to the democracy. The administration and the campus police at the time when I was protesting was not nearly as open-minded as this current one. I know this was a difficult time, but because of both of you, I believe Howard is a few steps closer to the actualization of its potential, the potential that many of us have dreamed for it. Students, your protests are also promising because many of you will leave Howard and enter systems and institutions 
that have a, have a history of discrimination and marginalization. The fact that you have struggled with this university that you love is a sign that you can use your education to improve the world that you are entering. I was on a roll when I entered the system of entertainment, theater, television, and film. In my first New York audition for a professional play, I landed the lead role. From that play, I got my first agent. From that agent, I got an on-screen audition. It was a soap opera. It wasn't Third Watch. It was a soap opera on a major network. I scored that role, too. I felt like Mike Tyson when he first came on the scene, knocking out opponents in the first round. With this soap opera gig, I was already promised to make six, six figures, more money than I had ever seen. I was feeling myself. But once I got the first script, and with soap operas, you very often get the script the night before, and, and you shoot the whole episode in one day with little to no time to prepare. Once I saw the role I was playing, I found myself conflicted. The role wasn't necessarily stereotypical. A young man in his formative years with a violent streak pulled into the allure of gang involvement. That's somebody's real story. Never judge the characters you play. That's what we were always taught. That's, that's the first rule of acting. And any role played honestly can be empowering. But I was conflicted because this role seemed to be wrapped up in assumptions about us as black folk. The writing failed to search for specificity. Plus, there was barely a glimpse of positivity or talent in the character, barely a glimpse of hope. I would have to make something out of nothing. I was conflicted. Howard had instilled in me a certain amount of pride, and for my taste, this role didn't live up to those standards. It was just my luck that after filming the first two episodes, execs of the show called me into their office and, offices and told me how happy they were with my performance. They wanted me to be around for a long time. They said, if there was anything that I needed, just let them know. That was my opening. <laughs> I decided to ask them some simple questions about the background of, of my character, questions that I felt were pertinent to the plot. Question number one, where's my father? The exec, the exec answered, well, he left when you were younger. Of course. Okay. Okay. Question number two. If this script, in this script, it alluded to my mother not being equipped to operate as a good parent. So why, why exactly would, would my little brother and I have to go into foster care? Matter-of-factly, he answered, well, of course, she's on heroin. That could be real, I guess. But I didn't want to assume that's what it was. If, if we're around here assuming that the black characters in the show are criminals on drugs and deadbeat parents, then that would probably, probably be stereotypical, wouldn't it? That word, stereotypical, lingered. One of the execs pulled out my resume and began studying it. The other exec wore a smile, trying to live up to what they had promised me only a few moments before. If there's anything you need, just let us know. 
She said, as, as you have seen, things move really fast around here. But we are more, more than happy to connect you with the writers if you have suggestions. Yeah, I said, that, that would be great, I said, because I'm just trying to do my homework on this. I, I, didn't, I didn't know if you guys had decided on all the facts, but maybe there are some things we could come up with, some talent or gift that we could build. Maybe he's really good at math or something. He has to be active. I'm doing my best not to play this, this character like a victim. So you went to Howard University, huh? The exec holding my resume interrupted, peeking over the pages. Yes, I said proudly. He slid my resume back in his desk and said, thank you for your concerns. We'll be watching you. I left the office. I shot the episode I had come in to shoot on that, on that day. Probably the best one I did out of the three because I got what was bothering me off my chest. I was let go from that job on the next day. A, call, a phone call from my agent. They decided to go another way. The questions that I asked set the producers on guard and perhaps paved the way for a less stereotypical portrayal for the black actor that stepped into the role after me. As the scripture says, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it. But God kept growing. God kept it growing. Yet and still, when you invest in a seed, watching it grow without you, that is a bitter pill to swallow. A bitter pill. Anybody that's ever been fired knows what I'm talking about. Even if you really don't want the job, when they let you go, it's like any breakup. You act like you don't care. I didn't need that damn job anyway. <laughs> I didn't need them. But when you have those moments alone, you start to wonder if there was a better way to handle it. And if you could have, if you could have handled it better, maybe you could help your family. And, and then before you know it, you're broke. And you find yourself scraping together change just so you can ride the subway so that you can get the next job. And maybe if you could book something else, that would eclipse the feeling of doubt that's building. But it seems like you can't pay them to hire you now. My agents at the time told me it might be a while before I got a job acting on screen again. Well, that was fine because I never wanted to act in the, in the first place. I, and I definitely didn't want to be caught dead going after a fake Hollywood pipe dream. I'm more of a writer-director anyway, so forget their stories. I can tell my own stories. But, but am I actually blackballed? We're, we're, we're hesitant about sending you out to some people right now because there is a stigma that you're difficult. As conflicted as I was before I lost the job, as adamant as I, I was about the need to speak truth to power, I found myself even more conflicted afterwards. I stand here today knowing that my Howard University education prepared me to play Jackie Robinson, James Brown, Thurgood Marshall, and T'Challa. But what do you do when the principles and standards that were instilled in you here at Howard close the doors in front of you? Sometimes you need to get knocked down before you can really figure out what your, what your fight is and how you need to fight it. At some point, my mom reverted back to my experiences here. 
to the professors that challenged me and struggled against me. Professor Roberts Williams, Doc Singleton, George Epstein, to name a few, the ones that, that would fail you out of the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> and this may be hard to grasp for some, for some of you right now, but I even considered President Swagger and how negotiating with him was practice for a world that was considerably more cruel and unforgiving than any debate here. One that had no interest in my ideals and beliefs. How would I maneuver through all of this? Finally, I thought of Ali in the middle of the yard. In his elder years, drawing from his victories and his losses. At that moment, I realized something new about this, the greatness of Ali and how he carried his crown. I realized that he was transferring something to me on that day. He was transferring the spirit of the fighter in me. He was, he was transferring the spirit of the fighter to me. He was transferring the spirit of the fighter to me. Sometimes you need to feel the pain and sting of defeat to activate the real passion and purpose that God predestined inside of you. God says in Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Graduating class, hear me well on this day. When you had this day when you have reached the hilltop and you are deciding on, on next jobs, next steps, careers, further education, you would rather find purpose than a job or a career. Purpose crosses disciplines. Purpose is an essential element of you. It is the reason you are on the planet at this particular time in history. Your very existence is wrapped up in the things you are here to fulfill. Whatever you choose for a career path, remember the struggles along the way are only meant to shape you for your purpose. When I dared to challenge the system that would relegate us to victims and stereotypes with no clear historical backgrounds, no hopes or talents, when I questioned that method of portrayal, a different path opened up for me the path to my destiny. When God has something for you, it doesn't matter who stands against it. God will move someone that's holding you back away from a door and put someone there who will open it for you. If it's meant for you, I don't know what your future is, but if you're willing to take the harder way, the more complicated one, the one with more failures at first than successes, the one that has ultimately proven to have more meaning, more victory, more glory, then you will not regret it. Now, this is your time. <laughs> The light of new realization shines on you today. Howard's legacy is not wrapped up in the money that you will make.
but the challenges that you choose to confront. As you commence to your past, press on with pride and press on with purpose. God bless you. I love you, Howard. Howard forever. <laughs>